summer long, well actually it started in the spring, didn't it? We've been looking at the eight Beatitudes, the eight keys to a blessed life. And today we're looking at yet one more key. This would be the seventh key out of eight. This one I've called how to reconcile a relationship. How to reconcile a relationship. So we're going to be looking at what Jesus says about why and how you reconcile a relationship, how that can have an impact on your life and on your, your other relationships, your finances, your time, just so many different areas of your life. And as we start each week, I would like to read the scripture that this comes from. Uh, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, the first 10, some, some would say the first 11 or 12 verses, the first 10 verses is the part we're focusing at. Uh, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 1. If you need a Bible, we've got some up here you can come and get. Um, if, if you uh, have your own, I'd love for you to open it up and follow along, or your iPad, or your phone, or whatever it might be. And we do have the scriptures, of course, on the screen, but there's nothing quite like holding them in your hand. Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up, to, went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how many of you got to see the Triple Crown yesterday. Um, I was busily working on this message, but I had my watch set so that it would go off at, at the exact time that I could get in there and watch watch uh, the Belmont State because you know, it was historic, wasn't it? Like 37 years, I think, 37 years since the last one. Uh, and it was exciting. It was something that kind of brought the whole country together in these times when it seems like we're so distant from one another. And I was reminded, I was reminded of something that my grandfather used to say, or a rhetorical question, really, that he used to ask. Somebody would do something stupid, and he would say, why are there always so many more horses patoots? And there are horses. Yeah, you might have to think about that. <laughs> but that's really kind of what we're looking at today. We're looking at seven ways to reconciling a relationship by doing it God's way. Seven ways to be a peacemaker, he calls it in, in this passage in Matthew and you can use this in any area of your life. As I look back at it, I didn't intend this to be, but as I look back at it um, um, late last night and, and this morning, it seems like I focused more on marriages, but this certainly applies to those of you that are single, 
that are divorced, that have never been married, that don't care about getting married. It applies to everybody that has a relationship. And unless you're living in a cave somewhere, you probably have to have a relationship with somebody at some, some point. So what I'm going to share with you this morning is going to save you literally thousands of dollars in counseling. And I want you to go ahead right now while I'm talking and just write out your check. Make it out to Renovation Church, and we will make sure that the kingdom of God is, is advanced with the money that you're going to pay the church for the counseling that you're going to get today. It's kind of like paying it forward, isn't it? So if you want to be a peacemaker, what do you have to do? The first thing is you have to make the first move. You have to make the first move. You don't wait on somebody else. You take the initiative. And I kind of know what you're thinking because I was thinking the same thing when I wrote this. Well, it's their fault. Their fault. I'll wait for them to come to me and then I'll be happy to forgive them. We'll deal with that then. You know, that'll be fine. But no, God says He expects you to take the first step. That's what's called being a peace maker, not a peacekeeper. And there's a huge difference. You see, reconciliation in your relationships is so important that God says it's more important even than worship. It's more important than coming to church. Now, I don't want all of you to get up at one time and leave. It'll be a, a crowd back there at the door. But if you've got something against somebody in your life, your life's out of whack with that person right now, that's more important than actually listening to what I'm saying to you. That's what he says. Matthew 5, 23. Jesus says this. If you're standing before the altar in the temple and you're giving an offering to God and you suddenly remember somebody has something against you, Leave your offering there beside the altar. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person. And then come and offer your gift to God. That's Jesus talking. That's Jesus saying that. So if you leave today during the service, during the offering time today, we'll know why you're leaving. You've got something against somebody and you want to work it out. But notice, notice it says leave your offering. <laughs> No, no, seriously. It says, go at once. It does say leave your offering. It? Go at once and be reconciled to that person. How many of you have ever, probably not many of you here, but how many of you have ever had an argument with somebody on the way to church in the car? Probably, if the truth be told, most of us. Most of us have, have. And the Bible says it would actually be better for you to sit out there in the car and work out that disagreement than for you to come and hear me teach. It's that important to God. Reconciliation takes priority. And when does he say you're supposed to do it? You're supposed to do it at once. At once. Don't procrastinate. Don't postpone, don't delay, don't make any excuses. You see, conflict is never resolved accidentally. It doesn't just happen. It's always an intentional thing. 
You've got to make the first move. Conflict never resolves itself. I'm sure you've heard the old expression that time heals all things. That's a bunch of baloney. It really is. It's not true. Time heals nothing. If you get shot in the side and you're bleeding to death and you say, time heals everything, I think I'll just wait this one out. <laughs> no, when you get shot and, the, and, and you have a wound in your side, it gets worse and worse. It festers. It gets infected. It, it gets uh, pussy. Time's never healed anything in your life if you really think about it. If you hold on to resentment and bitterness, it doesn't get better. It gets worse over the years. And your heart grows harder and harder and harder. The only way to resolve a conflict is to face it. Just face it. You can't go around it or beneath it or behind it, under it. You've got to go through the conflict. You have to make a decision. I am going to resolve this issue. What causes us to postpone or to procrastinate over issues? When we know, we know that we're out of whack with somebody. What, what causes that delay? The answer is one word, fear. Fear. Well, what is it I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid you're going to misunderstand what I'm going to say to you. I'm afraid I might say something in the conflict that you're going to use against me later on. It keeps us from connecting with the, with the real issue, talking on a real level with one another. Peacemakers take the initiative. And where do you get the courage to deal with that fear? the fear of your dad or your mom or your brother, sister, husband, wife, ex. Where do you get that courage? There's only one place that you can get that courage, and that's from the Holy Spirit. From God's Spirit of love. Because the Bible says there's no fear in love. God is love. Second Timothy 1.7 says it this way, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. These very practical steps that we're going to look at today can't be done unless you are filled with God's love because it's the love of God that's going to help you to eliminate the fear. It'll make that fear just go away. And that gives you the courage to do that first step, to make the first move. Second step is this. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. You make that decision. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this conflict. It's been under the surface for so many months or years or whatever. But first, but first I'm going to ask God for wisdom. Look at James uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. Have you ever asked God, you know, God, what are the sins I need to confess? I don't know what they are. Well, He's going to point them out to you. He'll give you, one by one, what they are. If you need advice, if you need wisdom in this case, ask Him. He's happy to give it to you. 
plan a peace conference, you kind of say, God, what do you want me to say? Where do you want me to say it? Uh, when's the right time for me to get together? Ask God for that kind of help. So after I've made the decision to make the first move and I've asked God for help, now we're getting into the practical stuff, and that's number three. I begin with what's my fault? What's my fault? The stuff that's my fault. And when we get together and we have this peace conference, you know, I don't start with what you've done wrong. I don't start with a bunch of accusations. I don't start with the ways that I've been hurt. We'll get to that. That comes later. But I start at the beginning with what's my fault in this? Do I have any fault at all in this? The conflict might be 99.9999999% their fault, but you can find something to confess. I assure you. You can find something that was your mistake, even if it was your poor response to them. But you begin with, what was my fault? What was my fault? And instead of accusing them, and instead of excusing yourself, and instead of attacking, and instead of blaming other people, first, you need to look at what's going on within you, within me. James 4.1 says, What causes fights and quarrels and conflicts among us? They're caused by the selfish desires. They're caused by self-centeredness. They're caused by the selfish desires that are continually at war inside of you. The conflict, you see, that you're having with other people is probably rooted inside you. When I'm at peace, inside, inside me, I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with myself. And what's out there just doesn't seem to bother me that much. Doesn't mean that I agree with everything I see. I mean, there's a lot to disagree with. There's a lot that upsets me. It's just that I tend not to let it bother me as much. So the first cause of con conflict is Self-centeredness, self-centeredness, selfishness. What's going on within you? And the second cause of conflict is pride. Does that surprise anybody? Pride. I'm pr in, in pride, I'm stubborn. In pride, I get my feelings hurt so easily. Humble people, you see, don't get their feelings hurt. Prideful people do. They get their feelings hurt all the time. My ego gets wounded, and then we get into this big old fight, this conflict. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Pride only leads to arguments. You and I have what's called blind spots in our lives. The blind spots are the weaknesses that you don't see in your life. We see them. We see them real clearly. That's why we need other people in our lives who can actually point out to you and point out to me what we can't see. Those are the blind spots. That's why we come to a conflict with a humble heart. And you begin with your own faults. Jesus put it this way a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. 
He says, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye? But you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own. First take the wood out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the dust, the, the, the dust out of your friend's eye. Here's the point. Jesus is saying you need to confess your part of the conflict first. Take care of your part first. I don't start with all the ways that you hurt me. I need to confess my part of the conflict first. I don't start with you. I start with me. I'm realistic and I'm asking myself questions like, am I being insensitive and that's what caused this conflict? Am I being oversensitive and that caused the conflict? Am I being ungrateful and I just haven't shown gratitude to this person and that's what's hurting? Am I being over-demanding? You just do kind of this honest self-evaluation. Ask God, what are my blind, blind spots? What are my blind spots that I'm not seeing? Then once you've done that, you're ready for step four. Listen for their hurt and perspective. Very, very important to listen for hurt. Because there's always hurt in a conflict. We think we argue over issues, but we actually argue over emotions. We argue over feelings, I guess, maybe. Anytime there's conflict, somebody's got their feelings hurt. Somebody felt abused. Somebody felt slighted. And it's not the ideas that cause the conflict. It's the emotion behind the ideas that causes the conflict. I've said this a number of times in here. Hurt people hurt people. In other words, the more I'm hurting, the more I lash out at everybody else. People who aren't hurting, they don't hurt other people. People who are filled, filled with love are loving to others. People who are filled with peace are at peace with most everybody else. But if I'm hurting inside, I'm going to hurt you. And the more I hurt, the more I'm going to hurt you. Hurt people hurt people. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage or it's in the marketplace or it's in the Middle East. When people feel they're not listened to, when people feel slighted, when people feel they're robbed of their dignity, they get mad. They get mad. It doesn't matter if it's on our southern border or in the Ukraine or anywhere else that there's conflict. When people feel like they're not being valued, they get mad. Like a cat that's been pushed into a corner. You want to be a good salesman? Some of you have been salespeople in the past. You want to be a good salesman? Don't start with your product. Start with the person's need for your product, for their hurts, for their interests. Then you can get to the product. Not what you have to share, but what they need. So you listen for their hurt. And you actually are listening behind the words that they're saying to their emotion. It's not just what they say in an argument. You need to listen to the emotion that's back there, deep down behind what they're saying. Emotion is far more important. People will say one thing, you know, 
They'll say one thing, but the feeling is something entirely different. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Well, I'm fine in many cases means I'm not doing well at all. We've got to hear the emotion behind it. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If you're quick to, to, quick to listen and slow to speak, I promise you, number three, you will be slow to anger. That just follows. That's the next step in this conflict resolution. Always, 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 always listen before speaking. That's the key to diffusing conflict. People feel validated. And when you look at people and you pay attention, you're saying, you know what, you matter to me. You're valuable. You're worth my attention, my time. Philippians 2.4 says this, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the, the same as that of Christ Jesus. You're most like Jesus when you're focusing on hurts that somebody else has. Your child, your wife, your dad, your client, your neighbor. You're focusing on them. But we are so busy trying to get the person that we're in conflict with to see it our way, to be on, to, to see our position on this thing, that we're not even listening to what they have to say. And as a result, instead of mending, we're going further and further and further and further away. There's two areas that the Bible says that you're commanded by God to be patient with to be understanding of, to be considerate of when you're dealing with anybody else in your life. Found in Romans chapter 15, verse 2. We must be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Let's please the other fellow, not ourselves, and do what is, what is for his good and thus build him up in the Lord. So we're to be considerate of the doubts and fears of other people. And here's the problem. My problem and your problem. You see, my fears are perfectly rational. They're entirely normal. Your fears, on the other hand, are stupid. They're irrational. They don't make any sense. That's at least the way we feel, whether we say it or not. My fears, there's a legitimate reason why I'm afraid of this or afraid of that. And you know what? You ought to be afraid of it too. You, on the other hand, you just kind of poo-poo it away. Fear. I was looking back in one of my, my counseling books the past couple of weeks, and I saw this uh, acronym for fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Fears. Mine are as irrational as yours are. We just have different ways of rationalizing them, don't we? Mine are natural. Yours are unnatural. Mine are normal. Yours are unnormal. Mine are legitimate. Yours are, well, they're ill illegitimate. 
hope. Romans 15 told us we must be considerate of the doubts and fears of each other. And when you do that, the conflict is going to ease in your relationship. The fifth step is this. Speak the truth tactfully. Speak the truth tactfully. The truth sets you free. But you've got to say it with love. You have to. You've got to say it with kindness. You've got to say it with tact. People say, I'm just telling it like it is, man. You ever hear that? That's called being rude. Don't be proud of that. Don't be proud ever of saying, I just tell it like it is. You know what that means? That means you're a jerk. It means you don't really care about other people. You just want to get it off of your chest. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love. The truth is not enough, you see. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. And if you say it offensively, it's going to be received defensively. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. You must speak the truth in love. You never use truth as a club. People change faster and people change easier when the truth is wrapped in love. I wish Jay were here in honor of my buddy Jay Ortiz. I call it a truth burrito. <laughs> you wrap it up in love so that people can receive the hard truth and it goes down easier. Truth without love is always resisted. Truth with love is received. So it's not what you say, it's how you say it that matters. Proverbs 12 18 says, Reckless words can pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Well, what's the writer of Proverbs saying there? He's saying that in a conflict, foolish words are going to hurt. Wise words are the words that are going to heal. And it's your choice, always. You never get your point across by being wrong. It's all in the way you say it. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. That's probably one of the greatest verses in the Bible for parenting, or marriage, or friendship. Don't use harmful words. The fact of the matter is that you're going to have conflict the rest of your marriage, the rest of your relationship with other people, the rest of your life. The question is, are you going to fight fair or are you not? You need to establish some ground rules so you don't destroy yourselves in this inevitable conflict that's going to happen. It's just life. That's just the way life is. And you need to take some words that are inflammatory and say, these are totally off limits. We're just not going to ever use these words. During the Cold War, between the Communist East and the Capitalist West, the between the Soviet Union and its allies and the United States and its allies, even in the height of the Cold War, from the 50s 
on up to the fall of the Berlin Wall about 89, 1989, I believe. Even the worst moments of Cold War, both sides agreed that some weapons were going to be off limits. And we call them WMDs, Weapons of Mass Destruction. We said, okay, we may fight, we may argue, we may have conflict, but we're not going to use the big one. Neither side is going to drop the atomic bomb because of, of what was called MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. Both the Soviet Union and America and our allies, they all knew that if one atomic bomb was dropped, it was all over. The whole earth would be destroyed. You need to ban the weapons of mass destruction from your relationships, all of your relationships. There are certain words you just need not to say. Those are words that are off limits. We're never going to use them. You need to make a list of them when you're in a saner time, more peaceful time. And you need to agree, we may be mad and upset, but we're just not ever, 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 ever going to use these words. Don't use harmful words, the Scripture says. You need to learn to fight fair. Step six. Fix the problem, not the blame. Fix the problem, don't fix the blame. And this is worth $1,000 in counseling, what I'm giving you. So remember your check, renovation church, just drop it in up here. Fix the problem, not the blame. You need to learn to attack the issue, not attack each other. You need to realize that you're both on the same team. We're working together here. Anytime you're busy fixing the blame, you're wasting the time, wasting time not fixing the problem at hand. And my goodness, if we need an exhibit A for that, take a look at Washington, D.C. The president blames the Congress for everything. The Congress blames the White House for everything that's going wrong, and what? Nothing gets done. Why? Because they're blaming each other, and as long as you're fixing the blame, you're not fixing the problem. As long as you're attacking each other, you're not attacking the issues that we need to attack. You've got a problem with sex in your marriage? You've got a problem with finances? With in-laws, with children, with work schedule in your marriage? Stop fixing the blame. Start fixing the problem. And God's very specific about this. There's dozens of examples, but I'm going to give you just one from Colossians 3, verse 8. You must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says in your, in your marriage, in your relationships, there should be no anger. There should be no rage. In other words, you should never try to intimidate anybody with anger. You never make threats. That doesn't work. Malice. Malice means that you say things that are intentionally designed to hurt other people. Like, you're just like your mother. 
or you're psychologizing. I know why you did that. No, you don't. You don't even know why you do what you're doing, what the motivation is behind what you're doing. How could you know about somebody else? And then there's no slander. That means no insults, no belittling, no labeling. Fix the problem, not the blame. Number seven, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. You realize there's a huge, huge difference in reconciliation and resolution. Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. We've buried the hatchet. It doesn't mean that you're going to remarry your ex. It just means we're at peace with each other, and I'm not holding on to any hurts. You're not holding on to any hurts. We've buried the hatchet. There can be reconciliation. Resolution means we resolve every disagreement. And friends, that ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because the truth is, there are some things in your marriage, there's some things in your friendship with other people that you're just never going to agree on. Because we're all different. That's what makes, makes it exciting is when we're all different. We were all alike. My goodness, it'd like, be like a bunch of robots around here. But you can disagree without being disagreeable. We call that maturity. We call that wisdom. We call that Christ-likeness, being like Christ. To disagree without being disagreeable. We can have unity without uniformity. We can walk hand in hand together without ever seeing eye to eye. You can have reconciliation without resolution. And here's one thing that I've learned from counseling. If you focus on restoring your relationships, oftentimes the issue becomes insignificant. Doesn't matter at all. Not worth a hill of beans. How many of your biggest arguments are over the smallest things? Take our house, for example. The first three, four years of marriage, you know what we fought over? Toothpaste. She wanted to squeeze the toothpaste. I don't know if she was mad at me or what. Squeeze the toothpaste. And I wanted to roll it down from the end. So we ended up buying two well, somehow I wish you would migrate over to my side of the sink and use my toothpaste. So we kind of do two separate bathrooms now, and, and that works out. She can squeeze her tooth wherever she wants to, and I'm going to do mine the proper way, rolling it down. Get back to focusing on the relationship. Our, our world is filled with conflict. Conflict. We pick up the newspaper and it's everywhere. There's, there's constant conflict and wars and division and arguments and stress between people. There are prejudices and racism and clashes. We have everything from violence and tribalism and terrorism and people getting into each other's faces and partisanism and people attacking each other constantly. And as a result, we have broken relationships, broken economy, broken government, broken marriages, broken families, and we have broken lives and broken hearts. And my challenge to you as your pastor is that you will commit to becoming an agent of reconciliation in a world that's full of conflict. 
that you will become a bridge builder and not a wall builder. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God has restored our relationship with Him through Christ. He has given us, given to us the ministry of restoring relationships. Your ministry, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you claim to be a man or a woman of God, your ministry is the ministry of restoring relationships. Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. It goes on to say God was in Christ restoring his relationship with humanity. He was reconciling us to himself. He didn't hold people's faults against them, and neither should you or I. And he has given us this message. What's this message? The message of restored relationships to tell others. And if you do that, if you do that, the Bible says God blesses those who are peacemakers. They will be called children. God, I, I thank you for giving us relationships. You knew from the beginning that Adam couldn't live by himself. We have to have other people around where we go stark raving and crazy. We think we can do it for a while, but not so. And if we have other people around, thank goodness they're not going to be just like us. They're different. And if they're different, we have differences. So conflict begins. God, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be blessed by you. We want to be happy, that word blessed means. We want to be happy. We want to be blessed in every area of our lives. And you say we need to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. As we sit here this morning... We think of a person, some people, with whom we need to restore a relationship. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's dropping them a card, a letter. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a visit. Bring those names to our minds. Bring the faith people. Cause us to seek you for wisdom and how we go about resolving this problem. And you will. You're happy to do that for us. And then help us to walk through these steps. To understand that, hey, I might be part of the blame here, you know? Never stop to think about that. God, we want to please you. We really don't care about pleasing other people. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us with your power. Make us agents of reconciliation in a world that's so full of conflict. In Jesus' name. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread and said, Friends, 
Friends, this is my body that's broken for you. After the meal that evening, he took a cup and poured wine into the cup, saying, This cup is the, it's the new covenant, and it's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of all of your sins. He said, As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember my death until I come. He came. He came to reconcile this world. To reconcile us to his Father. That was the purpose. What greater love could be shown than that? He was willing to give it all up. He took the first move, didn't he? We can certainly suck it up and take the first move ourselves. Be like him. Be more like him every day. As the servers come, each week I tell you this is a great time to just kind of take stock, take inventory, and where you are in your relationship with God. Ah, in your relationship with God. Is it where He wants it to be? Are you satisfied with it where it is? Do you think He's satisfied? What is it that you can do to strengthen that relationship? Now maybe He's the one that you need to go to. Maybe He's the one you need to talk to. Maybe He's the one that you're in conflict with because He's asked you to do something that you really don't want to do. Where he's held, held you to a standard that you really don't want to maintain. Talk to him about it. Rebuild that relationship. Be a bridge builder, not a wall builder. Wall building doesn't get us anywhere. You have to be, as, as uh, uh, Robert Cross said, you have to be careful what you're walling in and what you're walling out. We don't want to be wall builders. Bridge builders, building bridges to reconciliation. We have some folks that are strategically placed around the room here who would love to pray with you this morning. Maybe about a relationship issue. Maybe you don't know how, or you, you, you you're not real sure that what I've said is true about fear, and and you can't overcome that fear and really make that step. They 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 would be happy to help you happy to pray for you, asking God for His wisdom. They're not going to solve your problem, but, but they will direct 